Since then, we've now flipped a little bit over a thousand houses. We have over 35 million now lent out to flippers in different markets around the country. We do a lot of value add multifamily syndications, both on the GP side and the LP side. You're listening to Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to cryptocurrencies. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Alternative Investor Mastermind. Uh, I have a really, really great guest today, Matthew Owens. Matthew and I are members of a mastermind group together, and uh, he's really done it all in real estate investing over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. So he's got an incredible story, and I'm excited to have him here to share it. So uh, Matthew, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Glad to be here, bro, and looking forward to adding some value to your audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'd like to start with just giving you a chance to tell your story, especially how did you get into investing? So I, uh, you know, to start, I graduated from UC Santa Barbara with a uh, degree in economics with an emphasis in accounting, became a CPA afterwards. And then, of course, just like most CPAs, wanted to bang our, my head against the table because it was the most boring thing on the planet and needed to find another way out. Uh, doing taxes and audit and the monotonous stuff with that stuff and dealing with the government, you know, it's never fun to deal with that. And I just, I, I started to look for other ways of making money, right? Going, I got to get out. I'm not sure what to do yet. Uh, and I ended up taking some real estate classes uh, where, you know, at first I just wasn't sure. And then I started taking the classes and my interest level just went through the roof because I had this aha moment of being able to say, okay, how do I go and start stop trading my time for money and start trading my time to create assets that build wealth for me passively so that I don't have to actually do this? And then, of course, I did the complete wrong thing and quit my CPA firm job in 2006 to go into real estate full time. So I was a real estate genius for about a year, year and a half before I got my ass handed to me and lost everything and, you know, uh, by the market crash. And since then, we've now flipped a little bit over a thousand houses. We have over 35 million now lent out to flippers in different markets around the country. We do a lot of value add multifamily syndications, both on the GP side and the LP side, uh, and have a real estate course, a CFO services company. And really, you're just doing all different types of strategies in real estate with multiple income streams. And it's a lot more fun than doing accounting work at a CPA firm, bro. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Oh, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. So um, I, I've got some familiarity with the, you know, bridge lending, hard money lending space. And that's had some turmoil over the last couple of years with the interest rates moving and uh, even COVID. Uh, what, what, what was that? When did you start the lending business and what was it like to navigate the last three to five years? So I, I started around 2017, 2018, just starting lending capital where I didn't need a lot of my uh, other relationships for capital sources anymore because I had all the stuff, all the capital that I needed for my own flips and my own internal deals. And then I had a lot of friends and people that I knew in the industry that needed the capital. And so I started going through and getting them financing and making interest rate arbitrages on their loans to be able to make money just on a very small scale at that point. 
And then I started really dialing it up and created my own fund for it. And, you know, we've actually seen massive growth. And during COVID, for example, we kept lending when a lot of other people like backed off. Yeah, we lowered our loan to values and became a little more conservative because we were unsure what was happening. But we also understood the risks of the overall market and understood what was actually, you know, what our rent to price ratios were and what assets we were deploying capital against. And so we continued to lend and gained a bunch of market share during that time. And then, um, of course, when interest rates changed, people were afraid, saying, what's going to happen with my flip profits? What's going to happen with my rental income cash flow for that purchase, renovate, refinance, you know, Burr method type refinance? And we, there was definitely a dip of activity during that time and it continues to be a little bit more of a struggle to bring in the same amount of volume that was happening pre-interest rate change that occurred. Uh, however, on our side, we are internally funded. We can stick and move and aren't subject to a lot of the you know, correspondent arms out there that are funding deals that have their specific box that you have to fit into on different aspects. So we have some unique funding options that we work within that have enabled us to keep our volume up, that uh, enable us to work with, you know, more experienced operators and make adjustments to our terms and things like that for those guys that are doing volume. Uh, and honestly, the mastermind relationships and things like that to, from our relationships of doing over a thousand flips now and being in the field consistently has kept us moving and kept us with good volume on the lending side. So we've been a little bit more insulated than a lot of the other, you know, outside lenders or brokers that are just, you know, getting borrowers and moving them to a correspondent lender over and over and over again, right? Because we have that in-house funding and stuff like that. We have an online submission system where we close immediately. We have like 100% of purchase and 100% of rehab program up to 65% loan to value on a program. So when people get great deals, they're not getting penalized and having to put extra money down. You know, we, uh, you know, have experienced borrower requirements for some of that stuff. You know, so some of those unique types of programs that help borrowers to get through those, or we find borrowers that have massive volume and customize those programs for them. So we can still make our interest rate spreads and not beat them up so much on points and fees and all that stuff like a typical, more inexperienced borrower that's not doing volume, you know? So that's how we've been able to keep afloat, but for sure saw a drop in volume because of those changes in rates. And I feel like we're on the front lines seeing this stuff, seeing it, the activity change happen real time, right? Um, seeing people that are taking a little longer to sell little longer to refinance now their property on the back end. We're still seeing a move and we're still seeing good. It's like, where, where do you see the real estate market going? So I, I think it depends on the asset class specifically, right? So you can't, the single family market and the multifamily market and commercial office space and retail, all these things you have to look at independently from each other. But I do think from a macro standpoint, looking at this from a liquidity issue standpoint and seeing what's happening with the overall banks, uh, there may be some changes happening with the current commercial real estate lending market, right? From one standpoint, you have, you know, $160 million or $160 billion worth of loans that are going to be coming due in the commercial se sector just in 2023 alone. And like another $150 uh, billion worth of 
uh, commercial loans coming due in 2024. So a massive amount of them coming due all while you have this banking sector that is having financial turmoil and a lot of these smaller banks getting hit because they're having a lot of their capital being siphoned off to these bigger banks and the smaller banks account for like 40% of their overall uh, commercial real estate loans. And so they're the primary funding sources or a very big funding source for commercial real estate, all while people, the banks are also concerned about that change in interest rate environment and not getting stuck with a long-term cheaper rate than they really want. You're seeing the commercial real estate mortgage-backed securities market shrink to where the buyers of that market are really, really small right now. And it's hard to actually place that debt, especially with office space specifically, because they've had such of a huge um, vacancy factor and issue with value where I think a lot of these lenders have a lot of bad debt on their books that hasn't been realized yet. And that could hurt the smaller banks even further. And so I think you're going to have a dialing back of a lot of these loans at the same time when you have a lot of the uh, a lot of the loans coming due. And so you're going to have a lot of people trying to refinance over the next few years that aren't going to be able to be refinanced. And then you're going to have uh, in that same instance, uh, a lot of people coming to the table saying, great, they can't bring in the extra equity to then lower their current loan to value, which is what the bank's going to require to get them refinanced because the equity investors aren't going to make as much of a return. And so then you're going to see a lot of LP investors taking haircuts on those refinances and other people come in and buy up their equity shares and taking haircuts to hopefully not lose all of their LP money instead of some of it because they can't get those short-term deals refinanced. And so, you know, you have this segment of the time where I think it's really, really a scary situation, but during those turmoils, you're going to see a lot of opportunity coming up. So having that dry powder on deck and keeping your head up to look for that opportunity when it comes up is going to be massively important, I think. So keeping your head up, looking for that opportunity is where it's at. Yeah, I'm happy. What it's such a great point, and uh, we're in over 40 deals ourselves, and uh, you know, a fair amount have fixed rate debt. Almost everything has an interest rate cap, which was really required by the lenders. Right. But we're taking a really close look at the deals we did in 2021, just before the rates moved, and uh, you know, rates so far went up over four, you know, over four percent in the last right. year. Uh, most of the interest rate caps were at three percent, and uh, you know, what we're seeing is sponsors are just expediting renovations and, and doing their best to renovate their way out of it. And uh, the good news is the bridge loans generally had 100% of the renovation budget already escrowed. So uh, other than as long as we can keep occupancy at a reasonable level, um, you know, just trying to renovate as many as possible and the, that operating income increase is significant. Right. So, awesome. um, but it is still, it's probably the biggest risk uh, we have out there right now is uh, just uh, ensuring the NOI grows enough that these uh, properties can get refinanced at, uh, you know, uh, reasonable loan to value and have the debt service coverage ratio. Awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think right now, if you're looking at new investments to invest in, looking at getting long-term debt, interest rate caps, and you know, what is the operator doing on the back end of this thing to say, Hey, if they do need to refinance, what is their projected refinance interest rate going to be? And are they buffering there? What is their projected exit cap rate going to be? And is there buffer there because of potential changes in the market? 
what is the downside risk if rents do drop and you have a change in econ economics uh, where rents start coming down? Uh, then where's that break-even point going to be? Uh, even if you have to refinance in a few years, what does that look like if rents drop from where the market is right now? Because you're going to have a value add and increase rents, but then maybe you're saying, hey, I'm going to be conservative on those increased rents a lot more than what I would normally think even true market value is right now because of a potential downturn. I think one thing people aren't considering is the effects of inflation on people's true affordability. You know, people don't go through and uh, analyze a, a tenant or a homeowner's affordability when it comes to, you know, food and gasoline and basic necessities versus, hey, this is their credit card debt. This is their mortgage payment. These are these other, you know, hard and fast figures that are on their credit report for qualification. They're not considering what true affordability is. So it's going to be interesting to see if people are defaulting at all on their rent payments more and you have an uptick in vacancy and delinquencies, or if you have an uptick in, you know, people not being able to qualify for, you know, financing, or maybe they qualify and there's more delinquencies on the homeowner front as well. Um, but you also see a massive supply imbalance where people are locked into these really low interest rates, both on the single family side, as well as the multifamily space and other commercial space, where if they have that long-term debt, they're not going to go anywhere for a while. That debt just became crazy valuable right now, you know? So the assumption of that debt as your exit is going to be used a lot more in those exits moving forward, I think. Um, and I think, you know, considering some of these factors and these economic, you know, factors that may come up to into play and the operational functions is going to be key moving forward as well when you're looking at new investments. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. And uh, on the residential side, uh, I heard a stat recently that 40% uh, of people actually don't have mortgages. I mean, there's just a lot of baby boomers who've had their houses paid off. And then another 30% are locked below 4%. So, uh, you know, I, we have a number of, of real estate brokers, real estate agents that invest with us because, uh, you know, the accelerated depreciation is really good for them as real estate yeah. professionals. And, uh, you know, I'm hearing the, this across many markets that just unless there's a major life event where someone's forced to sell, people are just sitting tight. Right. They're either hold it as a rental or they just don't move unless they really have a reason to move because they can, you know, buy a house for a couple hundred thousand more and their mortgage payments more than double. So it's just not worth it to them to move. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's really interesting what's happening right now in the overall market as a whole. And, you know, there's there's craziness going on all across the board. And I think we're just, you know, one big crisis away from a liquidity issue. Um, that, but most liquidity issues are usually short term, but the turmoil they, they cause creates massive opportunity, which is you know, if I learned anything from losing everything in 2008, is to keep your head up and look for that opportunity because you can buy some great screaming deals. Really, really great advice on, on the tax side of things. And I assume you're living uh, living that because you're still, uh, uh, you know, got multiple successful businesses, but you still live in the People's Republic of California. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, without without giving, obviously, you're not a practicing CPA anymore. So without without giving official tax advice, if you're if if you're if you're comfortable, just kind of. Give us a little idea of kind of the breakdown because I think lending is somewhat active income, but then obviously you're involved in syndications and you maybe you own your own rentals. But how, how are you making your uh, tax situation about as efficient as you can be, whether it's uh, depreciation or even retirement accounts? Yeah. So, I mean, if if I can create the lending side to be as passive as possible, also 
you know, I can, I can utilize that and against for cost segregation studies and things like that. Uh, I can take that against my rent, my interest income. I can take that against my rental income and things like that. And then, then against my active income on the consulting side and things like that too. And so what I'm doing every year, I'm buying assets to then create massive individual year one tax deductions. I'm doing income shifting from one year to another or expense shifting from one in one year to another and planning my you know, financials correctly. Of course, I live in Southern California. The taxes suck here. I probably just in LLC fees alone could pay for my living expenses in a different market. You know, I have a massive family here. So don't get me wrong. I'm looking out of the state and out of the, you know, to get out of there to, to not have to pay California taxes anymore and deal with, you know, the regulations that are coming down. And I don't invest here at all. Um, uh, you know, you look at the tenant landlord laws in California and it's absolutely horrendous. Uh, and it's getting worse, right? And they're taking away more and more rights and putting in wealth taxes and things like that across the board. So, you know, mitigating and tax planning is absolutely imperative to your, uh, your financial future and your wealth building long-term, getting money into retirement accounts, going through and having, I have a health savings account. So I do this for my staff and my team. All of the people that work with me in different ways have their own S corporations set up and are partial owners of different companies that I own and different structuring components like that to, you know, look at the right way to structure this for them to mitigate their own taxes as well as my own individual tax situation and doing that proper tax planning. I'm, you know, purposefully delaying exits on assets and things like that and doing some, uh, some installment sales and seller financing strategies and things like that to take the gains lower over a period of time, along with the um, big uh, cost segregation study investments that, that I get and the big deductions that I get on each one of these. And I do that every single year uh, that I'm buying new assets just to be able to get massive tax deductions across the board that go against my interest income and rental income and things like that uh, as well. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and uh, a lot of planning every single quarter. I'm going to even my CPA and yes, I, I'm my, I'm a CPA, but at the same time, I still go and look and get and hire other CPAs to point out where I'm, where I can mitigate things, what things I can change and all that as well. That, that that's great. It's very, uh, very powerful stuff. And uh, once you get on that hamster wheel, you just, you need to, you need to be tracking every year and, uh, planning and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in that same boat. I've got a, a, you know, a loss I'm carrying forward for all my U S sourced income. And, uh, you know, every time the K one comes in, I'm, I'm putting it into the spreadsheet and, uh, trying to figure out if I have enough. Um, you know, I even did an ATM machine deal at the end of, uh, 2021. Cause I wasn't sure if I had enough and, uh, I knew yeah. that I'd get almost a hundred cents on a dollar from investing in that in an ATM machine right. fund. So I even did one of those outside of real estate just to uh, ensure that I had enough deductions for the year. Yeah, I, I did the same thing actually. So I did a, a mobile home park investment and ATM because I was like, I need to get those immediate deductions. And, and it's just that planning, right? It's like outlining your income and expenses across the board. And then you know, if you are a full-time real estate investor, you got to document your hours and make sure that you're hitting those metrics and making sure that you're not getting it audited on that side because they are going to look at you if if you have, you know, big tax deductions every single year. They're onto that strategy, making sure that you're dialed in on your documentation side is is absolutely key. 
Gotcha. So we talked about a little bit about multifamily. You mentioned mobile home parks. Obviously, you've done lending and house Are there any other asset classes that you uh, that you have your eye on or that you've uh, participated in? Yeah, actually. So, so one, I mentioned the ATMs that I invested in as well. I invest in some other, you know, smaller, uh, I'd say startup type companies, mostly inside my retirement vehicles and stuff like that. Uh, but I also uh, am in the marijuana space uh, and uh, have a fund coming up for that that I'm going to be focused on. And uh, we have an operation out in the main market that we we do. Uh, and uh, I'm basically the CFO of that company and work uh, work on that side and control all the capital for for that deal. And I have a key operator in that market that where we're producing at about $250 a pound and selling for about $1,800 a pound uh, in that market, much different market than a California market specifically. Um, but we're focused in that space quite a bit. Uh, as well, and uh, also different debt instruments that I can invest in and raise capital for as well uh, that I invest in. So I really love, you know, the, you know, one, the debt side and investing in short-term obligations because it gives me liquidity when I need it and also a high cash flow stream and a high cash flow spread, even on my own capital that I keep deployed in those deals. And then I love the multifamily and self-storage and mobile home park spaces uh, and those types of assets specifically for the big tax deductions, not having to do the work, having key higher level operators that can do that for me where I can be passive. And then I still have, you know, cookie cutter, single family homes and short-term rentals on both the buy and hold side and the fix and flip side that I've kind of been able to step out of and have other people helping me manage those those opportunities. And I'm going to be doing a, a, a big single family fund very shortly as well. Uh, and so those types of assets, I like to have a diversified portfolio of these because I can keep the income on over here on the active side, on the promissory note side as well. And then the passive side over here to be able to really dial in my passive cash flow too, because I think my one of my biggest mistakes is selling a thousand of these single family homes instead of just putting them all into passive cash flow deals that then I can retire off of uh, consistently, right? Versus flipping over and over and over again, which is a job, right? That's a that's a much bigger, uh, you know, it's just a really hard job, you know, as well. So especially managing contractors and doing all that stuff, you know, you get stolen from my contractors. You do, you know, you mis misunderstand your market values or your renovation costs and, you know, your timelines and, it's a lot of active work that goes into that side of things. It can be great to build wealth, but it's nothing like the passive syndication side where you can actually go through and retire off of that income with a diversified portfolio. Yeah, and, and the hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, I you know started buying rentals in my twenties as well, and then uh, yeah ended up selling them, and then I was in the non performing mortgage space where we bought a lot of stuff really cheap, and if we'd held on, I mean, I. You know, I'm going to be in Miami for a day this weekend, and there, you know, there were condos that we foreclosed on for two hundred thousand that are worth a million two right now. Um, yeah, in the heart of the financial crisis, so it's uh, uh, either way, we're still both young enough to and and have built up enough that uh, you know now is really the time to really focus on passive income. You kind of have to you have to grind first to realize that, uh, especially when going from you know multiple single family houses to a large apartment apartment complex, that there there's just so many economies of scale. Um, right. both, uh, just operationally tax wise, uh, sophistication of those you're dealing with, uh, try to get a contract to show up for one flip, uh, maybe a challenge, but you know, if you have a hundred renovations over the course of 12 to 18 months, I mean, that could keep, 
multiple crews fed. So I, I, right, I've seen that the right. contractors are a lot more motivated to uh, bid those jobs and, and you get a higher quality, uh, you know, groups to, to partner with. Yeah, I've, I've found the same thing. In the, in the multifamily and commercial space, the level of sophistication is a lot higher than in the single family space with regard to all of your vendors from, from management to, you know, construction guys to realtors to, you know, brokers involved, you know, your operations team, your asset management team, they're all just dialed it up a notch and they're a lot more professional because you have to be right. There's now scaling uh, available for that. It's a lot harder to scale those single family homes where you got to constantly be grinding. You're constantly marketing for deals versus, Hey, one deal at a time on a big multifamily is going to take you a year to implement that. Your crew is going to be busy for a while getting that all dialed in. Uh, and then you you can actually ha- employ them and then getting another one where they're constantly working with you over and over again. The trick is, though, when you start doing a lot of multifamilies, you need multiple crews, especially in different markets around the country, uh, you know, dialing that in initially and getting your initial crews set up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned uh, you have a, a, a class and I know that you're uh, heavily involved in the, the Phoebe uh, real estate organization. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what, you know, how people can learn more. We have, a, we have a six-month course on every aspect of real estate investing where we just teach financial education, how to run a business, how to market and find deals, how to raise capital, all the math behind the different investment options because People teach, oh, let me go be a wholesaler. Great. Let me go find deal flow there. That's that's great. But if you don't know how to run a business you're and you don't have the right financial education, you're dead in the water before you start. So I built it more like a master's degree type course where you can understand the underlying aspects of running a business. And so, uh, and then I have my lending business going. I have my CFO services and bookkeeping business going as well. And then I raise capital for tons of different syndications that I run as an operator. And I also, you know, don't run where I'm an LP investor and a GP investor in other assets too. And they can find me at MatthewOwens.com uh, with one T in Matthew. My parents couldn't spell, I'd say, when I was younger. So at least that's what I tell everybody because they spelled my name with one T. So, but MatthewOwens.com is, uh, where you can find out all, all about me and the different uh, you know content that I come out with. We have a YouTube channel. We have a lot of social media posts consistently where we're just teaching people as much as we can about real estate investing and how to create that financial freedom in their life. Yeah, that that's great. And uh, we're both in a mastermind together. I think we'll see each other in uh, Cabo San Lucas in, uh, in about a month. So I'm really uh, looking forward to uh, catching up with you there. And uh uh, you've dropped a lot of knowledge on us this episode, so uh, really appreciate it. We'll definitely put all the details uh, that you mentioned in our show notes, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. That's all for this episode of Alternative Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra-connected and ultra-wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at alternativeinvestormastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.